Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Well, it's been four months since we first met back in February to determine if there was any interest in starting a weekly congregation here in the Burlington area. The idea, as you may or may not be aware, was formulated near the end of the feast last year in two separate conversations that I had with uh, Pastor John Kosh and Pastor George Ramakon. And they had presented the task to us uh, to look into starting a congregation in Burlington. There was enough uh, interest here in the area and with uh, people traveling to Kitchener and to Toronto Perhaps there was an interest in uh, cutting down on some travel time, easing some of the burden in Toronto with them looking, perhaps needing to look for a new building. Uh, it sort of seemed like the perfect opportunity to try to, try to see if there was uh, some interest here in the Burlington area. So we met many times well into the night uh, discussing possibilities, expectations, and things that we should focus on early in our development. We didn't just uh, happen to meet on the, the 2nd of March and and start uh, seeing, where, seeing where this was going to go. We actually set some time aside, the Davises and the Kowalczyks and, and ourselves. We happened to be the, the ones at the time that were asked to see if there was discussion, there was interest here in Burlington. So we uh, ended up being uh, leadership by, by committee here in the Burlington area. So we met many, many, many Saturday nights and Sundays and uh, long hours of discussion about uh, possibilities and expectations and what we would focus on. What, through God's, it was, it was prayerful discussion and, and uh, fasting together and, and uh, uh, lots of prayer together. And this set the stage for the roadmap that you were presented with at the very beginning, one which you then helped us tweak and, and, and uh, refine. If we could, let's go to Proverbs 29 for a, a minute as we begin this second message. Proverbs 29. The reason we felt privileged to put some of this effort in to this was because through the, the pen of Solomon it says we know this where there is no revelation or where there is no vision the people perish I kind of like the New King James version a little better where it says the people cast off restraint because the word for perish the Hebrew word in Strong's at 6544, para, P-A-R-A, doesn't mean death per se or, or perish, perishing in that respect. It means to, to be loosed, to let go, or to be loosened of restraint. So through much prayer and hours of discussion, this roadmap was formulated. And without a clear vision, we, we, we're simply a group of people who gather on a weekly basis to go to church and nothing more. But this vision that we share and that we participate in makes us a family. For those of you who have been paying attention or have taken the time to notice, and I say that facetiously, the activities of the first four months were planned to address the vision. Many, many uh, fellowship opportunities in people's homes, uh, men's and women's fellowship, we've already had three. Uh, we've already met three times with the men's and the women's fellowship, and we've uh, certainly seen some uh, excellent progress and, and fruits there to establish the founding members of this family. And we've certainly spent a lot of time together over the last four months. 
we referring to the roadmap that we created together that, we, that you helped helped us refine. We see our guiding principles that knowing how to behave ourselves in the house of God, that we are a safe place for people to come, that we want to to be a place where people can be free to come, as I think Brother uh, Louis referred to in his message, free to come, to be safe. I, I, something tweaked that he said, and I forgot exactly how he put it, but he referred to, in essence, this guiding principle. Along with the mission of preparing God's people for marriage to Jesus Christ, for those of you who may or may not have noticed, the message have, messages have been specifically guided to form the basis for that. For us, the foundational members, to build solidly upon the foundation which we know to be Jesus Christ. And if you think back, here are what some of the messages that we have learned about. In addition to timely messages relatively, relative to the Holy Days, the meaning of the specific Holy Days, we've been taught on how to treat one another. We've studied the 30-odd one-another verbs. We had a detailed four-part series on the Philippian church, Paul's crown jewel, Paul's jewel and crown, as he called it. We've discussed the interaction of men and women. Deacon Jan covered that. We had the understanding that agape really requires interaction with people. We cannot, under, we cannot have agape if we do not interact with one another. We can't be, as Brother Louis spoke about, independent but we must be interdependent in order to practice agape. We learned about peacemaking, that God requires peacemaking, not peacekeepers. This then led into the various levels or meanings of sin, which then led into a specific detailed instructions on how to apply Matthew 18, all dealing with how to resolve conflict God's way. Our next Bible study will be on the role of women in the church that Brother Adrian and I will handled together. So over the course of these four months, as we think back and piece these together, they've been specifically designed, which we've discussed more often than not, on how to, again, form the basis of our, fa our family congregation, because we are now what amounts to be the founding members of the Burlington congregation. Not only have these messages been specifically tailored, but so have the youth studies that we have on a weekly basis, specifically planned to get a brief overview of the Bible over the course of a year, starting with creation account in Genesis, moving towards Revelation. Now, you obviously can't cover every story in the Bible over the course of a year, but for the purposes of our youth, hitting on certain topics. Today we covered the Northern Kingdom and how uh, king, uh, the king who would have been King Jeroboam had an opportunity, had he listened to God, to have the the Israel fall under his rule and his family's rule for eternity and he gave that up so again specifically uh, planned youth studies to engage our youth and to teach our youth and these subjects have been set up for the entire year the details again are up to the presenters as God, as God guides them but the subjects have been set and let me share something with the parents and the young people the conversation I had with uh, Pastor Watson a couple of weeks back when he was here last time he said I want to make a comment about your young people he said the young people are so engaged and pay attention during services for someone who's been around for 40 years and speaks nearly every week and wherever he goes 
actually made a specific comment to say what a joy it was to speak to the young people because they are, they're engaged, they pay attention, they follow in their Bibles, and um, he, he took time to, in, in a phone conversation with something completely different, to, to bring that up. So I wanted to bring that to the attention of the children and the parents. It's something that we can uh, thank God for, that, we, that uh, we haven't had an opportunity at home. It starts at home long before it comes here. But it's something that Pastor Watson had pointed out that was nice to hear. So we've started now to have four members participating in sermonettes, worship leading, and soon we will add others to the list of people providing guidance to our youth. Why? Because God's church is the membership, not the leaders. There comes a time in any group when we come to the end of the beginning. And as we sit here today, and there are those amongst us who aren't here due to the holiday weekend. We think of the Coxes. Lily and Annie are not here. The Brinsons aren't here. And that does happen in the summer when we have uh, a holiday weekend. But including those folks. And in time we will look back and note that God began this congregation with us. Nothing special about us. Nothing nothing that makes us any more special than anybody else but it starts somewhere and at some point it came to came to mind that we do come to the end of the beginning and as we see the the how the, the messages have been tailored how the youth messages have been tailored and now we end up in another facility like this we see the what I what in my opinion my mind is the end of the beginning now again, we'll look back and see that God has begun the congregation with us, including those folks that I mentioned that are not here with us today. Not the three leaders that you see in the pulpit most weeks, but all of us. God has begun this congregation with us. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Because as Brother Louis discussed, we all play a part in this interdependentness of the church. And we see here, set against the backdrop of who's in charge, is Paul's admonition that everyone, not just the leaders, work together for God's glory. Beginning chapter 3, let's start in verse 5. Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord God gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So again, this is set against the backdrop. If you uh, just refer back, we won't read it, but if you refer back to earlier in uh, chapter 1, where there was some contention with people saying, there was somewhere around verse 11, you can read it there, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos, but no, I'm of Christ. There's some contention there amongst the followers of leaders. And God here says that it's not about the leaders at all, it's about the entire group becoming one. Because those who do the watering, those who do the planting, make, it makes no difference who they are. It's the fact that the message is getting out, the watering is getting done, the planting is getting done, so that God does provide the increase. And again, we see that here in our hopes on how we handle our congregation. That's the reason we have town, town halls to engage one another and to, for ideas and where, where we all see our congregation going. And it seems 
that we would be due for one fairly soon. We'll probably hear talk of that in the coming weeks. There are a few things we need to discuss. Some have come, some have stayed, some have returned as guests. Others have decided that we may not be the place for them, and that's okay. That's okay. That's what that's what God's church is all about. That's why there are differences of ministries. We have we have uh, there was Apollos and there was Paul. Some people preferred Apollos. Some people preferred Paul. Here in this area, we're simply trying to do something for 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 people in this area to meet on a weekly basis and develop a family. So now it behooves us to ask ourselves, what now? What now? We've been blessed with a solid start to this congregational family, but now what? If we go back to Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, we see the parable, Luke chapter 12. We see a parable here of the faithful steward in chapter verse 41. Peter said to him, verse 41 of Luke 12, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or all people? And the Lord said, who then is this wise and faithful steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, my master delays his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of strife shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. And there are a few lessons we can draw from the explanation of this parable. Verse 48 tells us that from everyone to whom much is given, much will be required. God has given us a lot here. God has blessed us. With each other, God has blessed us with a congregation that that uh, is closer than we had before, with an opportunity in a building that uh, certainly at this point is is larger than we need, but certainly provides us with an opportunity to do more. Too much is given, much is required. Another couple of points back in verse 47, and that servant who knew his master's will. And what was part of his master's will did not prepare himself, nor do according to his will. So our our master must find us when he returns, so doing. When our master comes, he must find us doing his will, that he has clearly stated and clearly set out. And those who are of the master must, one, be preparing themselves, and two, doing his will, inwardly and outwardly. So preparing ourselves inwardly, but doing his will outwardly. Part of our mission is to work locally to preach the gospel. But it took the found, laying the foundation here solidly so that there was a place for people to come. We are now part of this place for people to come. Whoever God calls. It is certainly, as Paul says, Paul said that we read there in, in 1 Corinthians 3, but we also know the verse back in John chapter 6. John chapter 6 and verse 44 one of those 
scriptures that we have known from time immemorial, it seems. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. So we're certainly not here to do any work of our own accord. We certainly do this and be what we are trying to be as a family here, internally as a family, preparing ourselves to, for marriage to Jesus Christ. But we're also tasked by God to preach the gospel. And we can do that here locally, obviously preparing ourselves internally for marriage to Christ and outwardly preaching the gospel and sharing that with others. Let's go back a couple of pages to John chapter 4. We'll touch on the verses that were read during the scripture reading. Verse 34 of John chapter 4. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored, and others who have labored, and you have entered into their labors. God's way is such that people work hard for others to have a place to enter. When we first were called to this, we weren't called because of our own efforts. We were blessed by the efforts of people we probably don't even know. We don't work hard for ourselves. To provide ourselves with a place to come to comfortably hear a sermon. That's not what we are here doing. But to work hard so that others have a place to come whom God calls whenever he so chooses to do that calling. The, the term today in this day and age is called paying it forward. We, we and, and Christ here talks about that. I sent you to reap that which you have not labored. And others have labored and you have entered into their labors. We are here because of the efforts, how many ever years ago, of somebody who took the time to pay some tithes or to open their homes or to or to invite you over, or wherever it was when you were first starting to call, or to hand you a magazine, or wherever it was that you you were first called into the faith. The fields have always been white for harvest. We don't know who God is going to call, and in the end it doesn't really matter if God calls anybody, who he calls, how many he calls. If he fills this room, if nobody else ever even comes, our task is to work together to be a place for him to call people to. Why? Because God's message is one of hope. The message we have is one of hope. Turn back with me to Matthew chapter 4. We cannot forget this, that our message that we have, what links us together, is this message of hope. It's not the comfortability of the room that we're now in, the fact that we can uh, stay longer and share meals and, and sit in, might be the most comfortable chairs I've ever sat in in services. In my, in my years they'd be up in the top five anyways but Christ as he started his ministry we'll refer to verse 17 of Matthew chapter 4 from that time Jesus began to preach saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand his message was that there's a better world coming and a better way of life and then he spent the rest of his ministry on this earth teaching it and then drawing others in to teach it after he was gone but it was a message of hope that there was a better way of life. There was a kingdom that wasn't ruled by 
the Romans, wasn't ruled by who we have around us here, whether it be our internal government or a, a, uh, a, world, a world government that perhaps is on the horizon or this new world order that people are talking about or whatever it is that is that makes the rules of the country that we live in or the nation that we live in or the monetary system that we live in. We have one of the, is of hope. It doesn't matter what happens to whoever is elected. It doesn't matter what monetary system there is. It doesn't matter if things collapse because our message is one of hope, that there's a kingdom waiting to come. Matthew chapter 8, at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, as he was coming down, verse 1 of Matthew chapter 8, after he had reviewed, almost given a synopsis of what his ministry would be like for the next three and a half years, he had come down, verse 1, from the mountain, great multitudes followed him, and behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I'm willing, be cleansed. People are looking for a better way of life. This individual here was just looking, looking to be healed. He was in a position in life that he needed to be, to be healed, and Christ was able to do that. No, we, we can't offer healing of ourselves, but we can offer a better way of life and perhaps a, a teaching them how to pray so they can be healed. John chapter 8 is an interesting passage to go to as we review our message of hope, this message of hope that we have within us that unites us, that encourages us. This is the at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. The woman who was caught in adultery, we won't review the entire story for purposes of time. And we know that they had accused her, certainly didn't accuse the individual that she was in adultery with, but Christ obviously wrote something in the ground that struck at their hearts. Or perhaps make them feel guilty. We don't know. Then he, verse 9, Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Be free from the guilt of the sin that you committed. That is, that is hope. This woman should have been stoned. She knew it. She knew the law. But here, she was given a reprieve. She was given some hope for the future. Luke chapter 4. And again, we, could, we have, don't have the time to go into absolutely every story here about hope. just want to draw your attention to some of the teachings of Jesus Christ when he was here on this earth. And this message of hope that he left for his disciples who became his apostles in whose footsteps we follow. Luke chapter 4. Verse 16. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he had found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Part of the message that we have is one of hope. One where people can be told they don't have to live this way. They don't have to feel stressed. They don't have to feel hopeless. 
striving for the impossible, having your dreams tied into the shaky economic system built on credit. It's a system that we are part of, but we don't need to rely on. We can be hopeful that there's something beyond this hamster on a wheel race that we seem to be on on a daily basis that gets continually worse. One of the signs of society's decline is the increased rates of depression and suicide. The amount of, of sick time that people are taking in the workplace, I don't have figures for that, but the amount of sick time in the workplace for people who are depressed or stressed stress is staggering. It's, it just continues to rise. Suicide rates have risen since 1999 unbelievably high. The stats that I read, ages 35 to 64, your prime years, the years of your prime living, your, your highest, highest yielding income, the time you can have the most influence, whether it be on your children or as you grow into, as you grow in towards retirement. From 1999 to 2012, suicide rates increased 28.4% in 11 years. Sorry, in 13 years. These should be our most productive years. And believe it or not, during that same time frame, during the ages of 50 to 59, suicide rates increased 48% from what they were in 1999 to 2012. And those are people who are in the age ranges of either being the most productive or the most influential on our young people, finding that they have no hope, that the best hope that they have is to end this life, that they can't see beyond, whether it's their, their debt, their, uh, their financial situation, their family situation, their job situation. There are people out there crying for hope, looking for something to cling to. And our message is simple. There's a better way. There's an easier way, a more fulfilling way. God's way that's presented to us in his holy Bible. And now that we've established ourselves here in this area, we have solidified who we are. We are each contributing in some way to the cause. It seems time to work the fields a little bit and let people know there's a better way. This is not some corporate strategy to fill the chairs in, these, in this hall in the coming weeks. But for our sake... We need to turn our eyes and our hearts outward. There are people whose hopeless lives could be changed with the hope that lies within us. We're here due to the efforts of people we've never met. Perhaps you did get to meet some people that contributed to your calling. I'm not sure who specifically, whose hard work specifically led to my parents being called 40 years ago. But I'm sure glad they thought enough of me, never having met me, to share what God had given them. In the coming weeks, we'll begin discussions on how we can do this. Small and steady, not without overtaxing people. We all have incredibly busy lives. But doing it together, sharing the blessings God has provided us here in the last four months. And again, it's not, not some grand, I don't think, unless as a congregation we decide that way, not some grand uh, campaign, but slow and steady, letting people know we're here Letting people there know that on the Sabbath, on Saturday, they can come and have a place to come to learn of God's way. To learn that there's, an, there's a better way. There's a stress-free way to get through this life. It's worth noting that there are, there are expectations as well. When we refer back to what we read, Matthew 4, Matthew 4, we read, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Christ's message to the woman caught in adultery was, Neither do I condemn you, you're free, 
but go and sin no more. And when Christ quoted uh, Luke chapter, when he quoted Isaiah 61, he neglected at that point in time, because it wasn't part of his mission then, referring back to Isaiah chapter 61, verse 2, and the day of vengeance of our God was part of the message from Isaiah 61. So it is worth noting that there are expectations when people are called of God. There's an expectation to repent. There's an expectation to follow God's way. There's an expectation to, to do the right things for God. But our job first is to provide hope. Without that hope, there can be no desire for them to change their lives. So as we, as we look out amongst those who would be calling, we aren't looking for perfect people to come and join our perfect little club. We're a hospital for sinners, and we're looking for people to come and be healed. We're looking for people to come and be made whole again. <clears throat> so our job is to provide hope. Our job is to be here for people, to be a place, a safe haven where people can come, despite who they are, despite their beliefs, and learn that there's a better way, that there's God's way, and that they can feel safe here to, to learn of God's way, to be whoever they are, in our midst and help have us help teach them God's way of life because this world is full of people searching for something searching for something to cling to when mankind was first tossed out of the garden of Eden and away from God's presence away from the presence of the, the, the tree of life ever since then man has been clamoring for something clamoring for something to fill that void that we lost when we were out of God's presence we are fortunate and blessed enough to be in God's presence today, to have given our lives to God. And so it behooves us to share that in whatever small way we can do here in our little congregation, to be outward facing, so that what we are doing here, as we prepare ourselves for marriage to God, to Christ, we can also allow ourselves to be a place for God to call people to. Kyle was a freshman in high school. He would be classed as part of the nerd group. Steve saw him walking home one day, carrying all of his books. He thought to himself, typical nerd. Thoughts then turned to the many plans he had for the weekend. There was a party tonight, big party Friday night with all of his friends. Football game tomorrow, and perhaps they'd get to the beach on Sunday. He then saw, saw a small group of rowdies looking for trouble. And when they saw Kyle with his arms full of books, they ran at him, knocking him to the ground. Kyle tripping over himself, trying to maintain his balance. Glasses flying off, landing some number of feet away into the grass. It was this time that Steve's heart was tugged by the sadness in Kyle's eyes. Steve ran over, helped him find his glasses. And as he put them back on his tear-filled eyes, Steve remarked, Those guys are just jerks. Kyle smiled back with thanks and accepted Steve's offer to help him pick up his books. In the course of conversation, that they came to know that Kyle had lived close by all of these years, but had gone to a private school, so they hadn't had an opportunity to, to cross paths. But he had recently changed from the private school to this one where Steve was going. Steve invited him along the next day to play football with his buddies. And quickly, a friendship developed. On Monday, on the way back to school, Steve noticed Kyle carrying that same armload of books back to school. 
and teased that he was surely going to build some muscles, serious, some serious muscles hauling those books back and forth every day like that. As years passed by, they became best friends. College decisions would have them in separate states, with Kyle planning on being a doctor, and Steve studying business on a business on a football scholarship. And as the story goes, they were friends enough that by this time they weren't worried about how far away they would they would be. One had planned on studying in Duke, the other in Georgetown, several thousand miles apart. And they weren't worried about their friendship anymore. They had become close friends, and time and distance would not override that. Steve remarked how Kyle had changed over the four years. He had filled out, he had found himself, he wanted to be a doctor, and even looked good in glasses by this time. And how the girls loved him. He had more dates than even Steve could ever hope to have had. And as Kyle prepared his victory address, Steve teased him about being the nerd. And thankful, inside he was thankful it was not him giving that speech. And as they prepared for that, he slapped him on his back and wished him luck. Kyle then began. Graduation is a time, he said, to thank those who helped you make it through the tough years. Your parents, your siblings, maybe a coach, but mostly your friends. I'm here to tell you that being a friend to someone is the best gift you can give them. And I'm going to tell you a story. Steve then heard Kyle recount that the first Friday he had met Steve, as he carried all his books home, he was headed home to kill himself. He didn't want his mom to have to clean out his locker, so he carried his stuff home. And as he smiled at his buddy, he said, thankfully, I was saved. My friend saved me from doing the unthinkable. The gas went through the crowd as the popular kid at school told of his weakest moment. Our message is one for the ages. We have hope. There's a better way of life. We have eternity waiting for us. We don't need a large campaign to fill these seats. The message we have is timeless. It's one for the ages. We have the ability to change lives one at a time. Together, let's start figuring out how best we can do that. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.